The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the stocks discussed. For a full list of current recommendations and stocks owned by staff, members of Intelligent Investor can visit www.intelligentinvestor.com.au. Welcome to Stock Tech. My name is Gaurav Sodi. Joining me today is analyst Mickey Mordek. Hey, Mickey. Hi, Gaurav. With us also is analyst James Carlisle. Hey, JC. How are you going? Good, thanks. How's it going? Feels like it's been a while since we've all sat around with our microphones and laptops together. Well, I've been ready and waiting. <laughs> yeah, I had to haven't go had, to... Haven't had the call. Haven't had the nod. Well, I had, I had a wedding first, and then we just got busy doing uh, work, I suppose, which is no bad thing. Uh, so in between that, it's been, what, three maybe longer weeks. It's been too long for the three people that listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> One of them being my mother, probably. Um, right, how are we all? Gorab's mum. Yeah, oh, yes. Hi, mum. Yes, she's going she's gonna to mention that uh, shout out. Mickey, um, you've been, you've got a great story to tell, actually, because the stock that I wanted to talk to you about, Omni Bridgeway, I think you've actually, this, this may be the third time, certainly at least the second and maybe the third. I've heard you talk about this business for a long time. We've never shown as a team much interest because uh, there, there was a time where Mickey sent out this mammoth legendary spreadsheet, which just confused the heck out of everyone. And ever since then, we've just not wanted to touch this bit, this thing. But uh, it's come all the way back. Um, you spent a lot of time putting a lot of work to convince us about it. And I think it's actually... A, a strong idea. I think it's worthwhile going through what makes this an interesting business because when one first looks at it, it actually doesn't appear that way. So talk to us about first how you came across the idea and what makes Omni a decent candidate for an upgrade. Uh, well, I think I first came across it uh, just by reading about it, um, you know, like just generally kind of in the media and um, it was kind of one of those ones where I'd kind of always been interested in it, but hadn't had a chance to get around to it. And um, and uh, so I'd spoken with Nathan and a few other people and decided to take a look at it back in, I think it was February or March uh, for the first time. So uh, for those that don't know, Omni Bridgeway is a uh, litigation funder. Originally, it's, it's had a long uh, history. It used to be known as IMF Bentham, uh, but it recently changed its name after an acquisition. So basically what these guys have done for 30 odd years is they go and find uh, cases. Um, so um, cases where they can basically come in and uh, fund uh, like a lawsuit uh, on behalf of claimants. So oftentimes those claimants are, you know, wronged groups of, of people, but sometimes they can be corporates or something like that. So Basically, the goal is to, you know, where where the claimants don't want to uh, take on the risk or it's too time consuming or it's too risky to actually fund those cases themselves, uh, then Omni Bridgeway can actually stand in and, and, uh, and, and provide the funding and get the wheels in motion to actually kind of pursue those uh, damages. Uh, whatever they may be. Uh, so they've got a long track record of doing it. So I think the first thing that kind of appealed to me when I looked at this business was just looking at the share price chart. Uh, and I know we're not we're not kind of chartists or anything like that, but when you see a business that's gone from 20-odd cents to, to four-odd dollars um, over the space of 20, 20 years, that I think that that's probably telling you something. Uh, so if you go back and you look at the returns that they've generated over that time, they're quite phenomenal. Uh, so it tells you that they're, they're doing something right uh, and they've done it pretty consistently. So found that interesting. And then I think, uh, and also just the, uh, in terms of the returns, once you start to go through this business and you realize the returns that they're actually generating, not just for shareholders, but also for on these cases as well, um, they're quite phenomenal. And I, I mean, I dare to say I haven't seen kind of returns like this anywhere. So uh, so kind of those two things um, were the main thing that, that gets you interested. Uh, and so that was kind of where what made it, I think, an interesting business to begin with. So just to clarify, so when companies want to pursue um, lawsuits or, or when individuals want to pursue class actions, they need to be pre-funded because legal work is very expensive. So these guys 
provide um, some of the funding and in return they take a slice of the winnings if those cases end up being successful. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or it can sometimes be a multiple of the of the costs involved. So, okay. um, but oh, you I know, it, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, but it depends on how it's structured. Uh, but usually, it's a you know, it's a percentage of the winning. Uh, and so generally, the way that they look at these cases is they're very selective. Uh, and so they're only looking for a very particular type of case. So these are cases where you know, for example, the claimant is going to act rationally. So a lot of a lot of cases, you can see that. The people that have been wronged, you know, maybe they're not even interested in the in the financial aspect, so they're just going to try to go after something that isn't isn't reasonable. So they look at who they're actually partnering with, uh, and then they also look for cases where they think the upside is roughly ten to one in terms of what they're outlaying and what they're potentially on the hook for if they lose, uh, compared to the to the potential damages that they think they can get, and that basically allows for a big enough buffer where you know the claimants are getting at least fifty percent of uh, any any outcome, uh, and then OmniBridge Ray will, will receive the rest of the profits. And so what sort of uh, percentage of that 10 times? I mean, they spend a million on a case and they win, let's say they win 10 million. What sort of percentage? I mean, they're getting their million back to start with, and then what yeah, are they? Yeah, I think it it, ten, it tends to be kind of like twenty to thirty percent, um, but it can it obviously varies because it's so the case know, is a ten bagger, but they're hoping to double their money or triple their money, sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. So, like the typical kind of return on investment uh, on invested capital here is has been about one hundred and thirty two percent. So, if you put out you know a million dollars and you get um, you get a, you know you get you get one point three million back and and generally that takes about on average this is just going back historically, uh, that, but that, that includes the losses that that includes, that includes the, the losses that's lose. right yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. on the ones they win they're hoping to make maybe yeah two or three times yeah two or three times and then occasionally you'll lose one I mean they have a really high success rate it's um above eighty it's somewhere between eighty five and ninety percent and so success isn't always you know a slam dunk you know. Uh, 10 times your money type thing it can also be a settlement where uh you know that's also a, a reasonable outcome so uh but i think that the the you, you get these you can get you know kind of these bonanza payoffs in 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 some really meritorious cases uh that uh provide ex- exceptional returns meritorious um, wow you've been reading a lot of legal stuff haven't you <laughs> yeah, that's what you've been talking to the lawyers that's yeah you can tell wow you know when i first heard about this business. JC, I'm not sure what your thoughts were, but um, I was not, I, had, I, I found myself, I had a lot of problems with the business model at first um, because uh, for my, uh, all, I thought that all it was really was what, what do you need to succeed in this business? You need a pile of cheap cash. So you, you need a cheap source of capital and, um, and you need some uh, lawyers to tell you which cases to take and which cases not to take. And your revenue recognition, because you pay your costs up front, the legal costs up front, and the payoff is in the future and uncertain. So your revenue recognition, there's so much discretion in the reported numbers. I didn't quite believe the numbers. Um, and that was my first problems with it. But um, can we go through some of those um, issues, JC. What was your? Did you? I can't remember if you if you like this. Well, look, I've, I, what I, no, I mean, I've been aware of this stock for some time, but it, my problem with it has always been just that it's too complicated. I've never really yeah. understood what its competitive advantages are. Well, and maybe I that's think, a, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I think, and, and that, that was the concern when yeah. Mickey brought it this year as well, yeah. because. If someone's making such good returns, you'd yeah. think, I mean, all it needs is a bit of capital. And as you say, some yeah. people to decide which cases to, to, to take on. Mm. And they've done very well with that, of mm. course, over the years. But that shouldn't be rocket science. And so you'd expect those returns to be competed down. Um, JC, around here it's known Warner's as rocket down, surgery, you remember? Yeah, rocket surgery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think... They they have a sort of pole position. They have relationships with lawyers, don't they? This is the, these are the arguments you've been making, Mickey, isn't it? Aren't they? And they've got, you know, they've got a lot of experience in this. They've got relationships in the industry. Um, they've got uh, critical mass barriers. So there 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 are barriers to entry. You've got to set all this up. They've got the funds that that, that um, provide them the capital. So they are in a in a strong position. Um, 
relative to, to newcomers. You make a good point though. Mickey, with returns this high and the startup costs relatively simple, why haven't more competitors come in and how have they managed to sustain these returns? Uh, well, I think so. It's still a pretty pretty nascent um, industry. I mean, it's... it's um... Meritorious, nascent. Wow. You've been hitting the legal books. <laughs> Jeez, they're just trying to sound smart. I've got to... Um... <laughs> Hope it's going well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, so I guess it's still like the competition, I think, is is definitely going to be coming. These guys were pretty much the pioneer in the space. So they started out, you know, 30 years ago as a little kind of um, WA-based outfit. The and... pioneer in Australia, though. I mean, they've been people doing this in, in the US and the UK and Europe. I'm I think these guys were time. pretty much one of the first anywhere basically really? Really? yeah okay. yeah yeah um so but i mean there, there's kind of been you know there's some there are some other competitors and we've just kind of written an article so members can kind of see how they compare but omni's got um by far the most offices and the and the widest geographical kind of spread now uh in terms of winning these cases uh sorry actually sourcing these cases as well I think they've just got an established network of relationships with, say, law firms and with um, with uh, with with places to basically source these cases, and they've got offices and the know-how, uh, and so so I think that that helps um, as well. Uh, but yeah, so I think competition's coming. But I guess basically, it's kind of like any fund manager, realistically. And I think this was the the, the leap that we kind of made with it was that. Uh, yes, there's going to be other people coming in. However, you know, it's like if you're if you're a good fund manager and you're good at your job and you provide good returns, then mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter how many competitors you have. You're just better. Um, and I think these guys have been doing it for long enough. They've got the expertise, the track record, mm-hmm. uh, and kind of the global infrastructure in place uh, that they're just way down the road. Uh, they've been doing it for way longer than lots of other people. And so I think that just sets them up well. Um, I think... Ultimately, the competition is going to be coming for them, uh, but it will take years to kind of replicate, you know, the network, um, the kind of offices and the infrastructure that they have in place. So I think they can uh, still keep going. And even if returns do come down a bit, um, you know, you're starting at 30, 40% per annum. So, I mean, they can come down to 20%, they could come down to 15% and, you know, that would still be highly attractive. So It's interesting that the market... I mean, they've got a long record of pretty outstanding numerical returns. It's interesting the market has never really valued them all that highly. I, I want want to get your thoughts, Mickey, just quickly on some boring accounting stuff. Um, just on in terms of um, revenue recognition, profit recognition. Um, you know, these cases come in um, with a, I guess, a expected return or a probability. Um, of success, does the business count the probability where it returns or does it wait for the cash to drop in and then recognize returns? Yeah. So one of the things about Omni Bridgeway, which is sort of deceiving. So it's actually, it's actually a more profitable business than it appears because as you say, so when you, when you take on a case, you've got this kind of expected outcome. Uh, and there's two ways that you can account for that. Um, on the, on the one hand, you can say, uh, you know, we think the case is worth this much, and then over time, as the case progresses, you can take you know fair value adjustments. And so you're kind of saying, you know, our profit on this case we're assuming is this, and that's kind of the aggressive way to do it because mm-hmm. you're kind of making an assumption. And it's very open to you know management discretion as to, yeah. as to what profit you're it's booking. It's a made up number, really, isn't it? But you yeah. can't, yeah. But you can't sort of. Uh, fool people forever. The fact Correct. they've been doing it for 20, yeah, 30 years yeah. is, is uh, yeah. But that's that's not that's years, that's not how like Omni Bridgeway does it though. Mm. So Burford, one of their US competitors, did it this way, and they got into a lot of trouble for doing exactly that. So what they a shock. <laughs> they were booking a lot of these profits up front. It turned out, you know, the cases they were probably a bit aggressive with the accounting, and so mm. the share price fell quite a long way. Um, Omni Bridgeway takes a much more conservative approach, so it only basically capitalizes its cost base on the on the case mm. uh, and so then it only books the profit once the final outcome uh, and the payments and everything have been settled so oh, wow. um, so, so they've got all these all these assets on the balance sheet that are probably worth much more than what they're carried at basically 
Okay, but some of those assets are actually costs that have to be counted at some point. I'm guessing. Yes. Well, so the what cost the costs have <laughs> already been the costs have already been incurred. So they incur the costs in mm. terms of pursuing the case. Right. Oh no, but you uh, said they, they capitalize just... them. Yes, that's so. So, yeah. so, so they go on the balance sheet. They don't incur the cost until oh, yeah. until they win or lose the case, and then if they lose it, then that's going to yeah, go a through as a loss. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, but I think so. In terms of like the the um, profits, though, you know that they're not kind of booking the profits in advance. They're kind of taking the profits, hopefully at the very end. So I think that's a much more conservative accounting. Yeah, so you've got a whole load of uh, projects, like it's almost like a property developer. You've got a yes, whole load right. of projects um, booked on the books at cost, but uh, you could make a lot more for them in, you know, in, in due course. Yeah, you might laugh at this, Mickey, but when I was looking this, uh, looking at this, I thought of this in terms of a mining services business because it's got a big kind of work in progress balance. Mm. And... Um, it capitalizes all the expenses into that balance and recognizes profits you know, much further down the line. It, it's, it, the accounting treatment um, is quite similar. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I think the way that to think about this business is, um, you know, it's very tricky with the accounting. But I think now that it's pivoting to a funds management model. Yeah, can we talk accounting... a bit? Can we just quickly talk about that? Because I think that's one of the key planks, actually, of the investment case. So in, that's in one the of the worries to me. One <laughs> of the worries uh, to me. Well, because it shows, demonstrates how, how the capital is flowing in, isn't it, into the industry? But but perhaps oh, Mickey, okay. you yeah, yeah. explain what's what's happening. Yeah, can we just explain? Let's let's dwell on that for. A second. So, Mickey, in the past, uh, the business has internally funded its cases, and now mm -hmm. it's accepting external capital to fund its cases. Just talk to us about the change and what that means for the business. So, previously, they would just fund these cases from their own balance sheet, and uh, that was very profitable uh, because you know they'd often, they're very good at it, and they knew how to um, get good returns out of that. But it's kind of like if you're a good investor and you're just using your own money there's a limit to how fast you can kind of grow because, you know, you, you're constrained by your own capital. Mm. Uh, and so they have uh, basically chief um, executive Andrew Saker came in in 2015. Originally he was a consultant to the business and he had a plan basically to pivot into a funds management model. And basically that would allow them to charge management fees, performance fees, and effectively become kind of like a less, um, they would have to put less capital uh, up themselves and so they could grow quicker uh, and and have a kind of more steady recurring revenue base rather than these big kind of lumpy one-off case wins here and there and so that that transition is underway and I think what um, they've still got a few legacy cases uh, on the on the balance sheet uh, but not the not too many now and I think uh, over time um, so that they will run off soon and then once that happens, and the management fees start to build up, uh, it should become a bit easier to uh, see the profitability of this business over time. Mm. And do you, um, I mean, in terms of you looking at it, do you look at the mostly the, the cash flow here? Is that what's most important? Or, or do you try and, and make sense of that complex P&L? No, well, so I think, I think the way you've got to, to look at its earnings power uh, is you... Uh, you don't want to look at the kind of cash flow in any one year. So mm. they've got um, so when they take these investments, so when they're putting money into a case, that's it's highly unusual because they're they're kind of it's that's an investing cash flow. Uh, so that looks it's not it's not nothing not much runs through the um, cash flow from operations. So whereas like a, no, a normal fund manager, you'd mostly see everything in operating cash flow. So this is kind of more uh, everything's in the investing cash flow statement. So that makes it a bit trickier. Um, but I think the way you just kind of simplify this is you go, um, how much fun are they um, going to have? You may, And then you can say, well, what's the management fee on that? What's the performance fee? And then you can make some estimates about the returns. And then you can say, well, we think the you know, average case, you know, I'll, fund will have a life of say five years or six years and then you can sort of annualize that figure which you've kind of done in that article i don't know if i've explained mm. that all that well but i think okay. it's probably no, I think I get it 
And JC, you had some concerns about the change in model. Can you elaborate on those? Oh, well, just um, I, I think the model makes sense. If you've got um, more cases than you've got money for, then why wouldn't you uh, get money from other people and take a little fee for it? Uh, the, 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 my concern is just that it um, demonstrates how money is flowing into this. People are attracted by it being a, uh, an alternative asset, as it were. It's a different, you know, it, it, its returns are not correlated with the stock market. So it's a way of getting capital to do something a bit different and uh do, do you have any numbers for how much money's flowing into the industry is there a you know is it growing at 10 percent a year or something do we know about that yeah well so i guess the, the way that um i think you think about in terms of the growth of uh of the market is that you know this is a relatively under penetrated uh market uh if if omnibridge ray is one of the first uh, to be doing this or you know it's 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 quite small you know it's still only got um, a couple of billion in funds under management and we're talking about the entire world so uh, you know and there's, a, there's so, the, so it is growing quickly but what you're saying is there's a long way for it to grow there's a lot of the, the funded court cases are still a very small part of the the total Externally yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't, I don't think that there's going to be like a certain addressable market um, number that you can throw out there. But I think we're kind of at the at the early stage. And I suppose the it. market that we're talking about is the market for people who want to outsource the funding of their court case. And so that, what that means is, uh, yeah, very open to debate. It's just I, I, I worry that the more money flows into it, then that, that's more money chasing. The same number of cases, uh, but but perhaps what you're saying is the number of cases that want this sort of funding is going to increase. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that's that's right. I mean, it's not just class actions. Like one of the one of the big market opportunities uh, looking forward is is potentially in the corporate space. So a lot of corporates, for example, you know, if someone infringes on your intellectual property or breaches a contract, you might want to pursue that legal action, but if you're a CFO and you pursue that case and you lose it, um, you've got that risk on your balance sheet. Uh, so lots of CFOs find it attractive to be able to outsource that uh, function. And if it pays off, then they're not taking any risk. So they can tell the shareholders, hey, look, we, we won some money. And if it doesn't pay off, well, then they haven't taken the risk. So there's very little downside. So for corporates that are kind of looking to pursue legal action as well, that's a potentially um, massive market and it's one that Omni's looking into. There's um, enforcement as well of cases when people have kind of hidden assets and that was a big part of buying Omni Bridge Ray as well was gives them some, uh, you know, more expertise in terms of actually enforcing uh, some of these uh, wins as well. Um, so especially for international kind of complicated situations where people are, don't want to pay you. So um well, look, um, Mickey, you've done a good job of actually making this complicated situation quite uh, understandable. We've had a few goes at it. We've made it life a bit hard for you internally, but um, I, I think it's an interesting idea. Um, you own, I mean, um, it's a, currently a buy idea at the moment. I think the stock's gone up a little bit, but still on the buy list? Yeah, it's still on the buy list, uh, under $4.50 at the moment. Okay, um, and you've got a, a couple of, I think, detailed articles about it. Um, each time Mickey brought it to the Dragon's Den, I think there was an article, uh, so... There might be a little bit of research on the website as well. Uh, JC, anything else to add on Omni before we move on? No, I think it's a nice idea. Well done. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's carry on. Let's move on to oh, idea I struggle to to describe as nice, but um, Telstra, which has been a bit of a, um, a <laughs> bit of a dog. Is yeah. What Telstra's uh, been. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we we often have these projections of what a great business looks like and then i think it's useful also to have projections of what a poor business looks like and for a long time telstra was in that in that latter camp but um changes might be afoot um so i might just begin there we've been very critical of telstra it must be said for a long period of time um certainly ever since i've been covering it um and i think even before then and um it's i mean the, the problems with telstra are not entirely of its own making, although a lot of them actually are. Um, and it, it all, the problems begin uh, with the NBN. Now, the NBN, of course, um, is a, a monopoly fiber network that's designed to replace uh, Telstra's own monopoly copper network. 
So once the government built the NBN, it paid Telstra um, a, a huge amount of money, about $11 billion in compensation for taking away the monopoly. Um, and it also took away a lot of the revenues that came with the old copper network. So Telstra used to charge other ISPs, internet service providers, and um, other customers used for use, using their wholesale copper network. And that um, bought in about $3 billion of operating profit every year a raucous amount of money, just a crazy margin, huge business within Telstra. And all of a sudden, that, that money's been ripped out of Telstra. So that it's about $3.5 billion a year that the business is no longer making. And that explains why the, a 10-year comparison of Telstra's profits looks very unflattering, even though you know we live in a completely different world than we did, lived in 10 years ago. It's largely because of, of the wholesale profits missing from Telstra. Now, Telstra, of course, has been aware that there's going to be a big hole in their, in their earnings. And for 10 years, they've been trying to plug that hole with stupid acquisitions, with dumb decisions, with desperation, really. They've been throwing capital at businesses, trying to do anything they can to plug that hole. And I think finally, that flailing desperation is at an end because Telstra announced that they're, instead of going out and trying to wildly fill an earnings hole, they're now admitting that they are going to have to adapt to the world, and they're they talking now about splitting the business into three different segments. Now, this is not entirely new. They have hinted at a split before, when we've kind of inferred from that there will be a more formalized split of Telstra to come. It's too early to confirm whether that's true or not, but that's looking increasingly likely. So the three new businesses within Telstra are going to be um, Infraco Fixed, um, Infraco Towers, and a services business, which they called Servco. Um, now, you guys with me so far? This is a little so, complicated. Yeah, so Infraco Fixed is the fiber. Infraco Towers is, are the mobile towers that are connected to that fiber. Yep. Yeah, and then and the Infraco Fixed connects to what? The NBN's... You're almost there, James. That's, that's Last um, mile yeah. connections, yeah. And then... A bit, a and bit then, more. It's a little bit more than that. So Infraco Fixed, you're right. A big part of that is the towers, but a larger part of that is the ducks and exchanges. No, no, hold on. You said so the towers surely are... In, are in, oh, sorry, yeah, towers, not the ducks. Yeah. The, um, yeah, so the, the fixed exchanges is their fiber. And the ducks, yeah. So the fixed yeah. includes ducks, um, exchanges, fiber... Um, and um, pieces of fixed infrastructure uh, that aren't really going to be growing, but uh, that would generate a rental return, an infrastructure-style rental yield. Why does the NBN not own all the ducts and fiber, uh, the ducts and exchanges and stuff? Uh, well, um, they have to. They have to replicate it if they built it. It's better just to use the stuff. Oh, so they rent them out. off Telstra. They rent them off Telstra. So why didn't yeah. the government get Telstra to give them that as part of the eleven yeah, billion? Make, it's it, a good make question, it twelve James. billion and give them all the exchanges. I I mean, you, really. It'd be better if you were in charge of the split. <laughs> <laughs> it seems, seems strange, it's been, but anyway, look, it's a it's a bit of a mess. I mean, and it yeah, is it in is every country in the how, world. So. How hard is it going to be to split up everything? Well, they've done that already internally. It's, I, I think they've done a good job of doing that. Um, it, it's not that difficult. The difficult part is because at the moment, um, you know, obviously uh, the Telstra business doesn't pay to, to use its own infrastructure. They have to come up with service agreements, um, effectively infrastructure rental agreements for every piece of infrastructure that the mobile business uses or the internet business uses. Um, and that's going to be the hard part. And that's going to determine how much value is actually in the different pieces of, of the pies. Um, now, we'll come to that in a second, but let's quickly talk about... So I think we've got that fixed infrastructure, fixed portion down. Um, the biggest customer of infrastructure of the of the Infraco fixed business is the NBN. It'll be Telstra itself, and it might be some third parties too. Uh, it will generate um, very stable, high margin cash flow, but it's likely not to be growing um, anything greater than CPI, and I would guess maybe even less than CPI, um, depending what CPI is. So uh, you've got that business. Then you've got Infraco Towers, which is one I'm really excited about. We wrote an article about a year ago suggesting that there was a wonderful towers business inside Telstra. I reckon someone at Telstra read that and decided, yep, let's do it, boys. Let's do it. <laughs> they should be hiring you for strategy, Gaurav. <laughs> well, and that owns the hardware that they put on buildings, but it doesn't own any actual buildings. I mean, it owns, so, you, you know, the those things that you see around, you know, the mobile tower stuff, mm. um, they own all that, um, but they have to rent the locations. Is it that the locations are important and, the, and, and that they've got, 
agreements with the right people to have the right locations, or could they be shunted out of those positions and yeah, so have when, to take when all that? When you're building a mobile network, what, um, you have a choice. There, there's a whole different array of um, infrastructure you can use. You can use people's buildings, in which case the building owner gets a rental um, yield for it. In lots of places, you actually have to erect your own infrastructure, which means um, a big pole with fiber backhaul connected to the pole. Um, and, the, and you just have to get the, the council to agree to that, do you? Basically? You need to get the council. But the, the most vital part is it has to be connected to fiber. So those, oh, those okay, yeah. towers yeah. Are, are valuable because they are, they've been scouted for locations. They're not just randomly appearing. They're, they're yeah. there because that location is a good location for microwave transmission. And it's also there because it's connected to a fiber. Yes, it does. It's connected it up, and so it has yep. a value for that reason. Now, yeah. you might think that when you use your mobile phone, that it's just radio waves going through the air. That's partly true, but data travels not through – well, it does a little bit through radio waves, but largely, even more so, it travels through fiber. The mobile networks of the, of the mobile operators are connected with um, dense networks of fiber. Uh, we don't I, – I wasn't aware that people weren't aware of this um, – but I was speaking to a banker actually about this and he didn't know. So I'm guessing a lot of people do not know that mobile networks utilize dense fiber yeah, If you make a mobile phone call in, say, Sydney, the, yep. the, then that, that the, those radio waves will travel a mile at most, won't they? I mean, or two. You know, that sort of, that's the sort of thing. And then they'll be onto the fiber, yeah. And they're not dense enough. Yeah. They're, they're dense enough to carry voice. But if you're uh, watching a film or YouTube on your mobile phone, radio waves aren't dense enough to carry everyone's YouTube watching. Um, so the fiber helps move the data around and make it a very fast network. So Gaurav, what would someone, so I guess the point is that it's just so hard to replicate. Exactly, exactly. Things. It's really hard that, to replicate. Yeah. And every tower can host multiple networks. So on a single tower location, um, you can have a, a Telstra equipment and you can have Vodafone and TP and Optus equipment. But Vodafone well. uh, would then have to rent the fiber that connects that tower, wouldn't they? Yeah. As well, they don't have fiber to Telstra Stars, yeah. so they they then have to so they have to have a deal with Infraco fixed as well, do they? Potentially, or someone else might own the fibers. So um, before TPG and Vodafone merged, TPG actually owned all of Vodafone's fiber backhaul, um, and so Vodafone was paying TPG fiber um, rental for uh, for using their mobile for for their mobile applications. So it makes it, a strong case for a nationalized telecoms industry, doesn't it? Just have the government yeah. own the whole thing. <laughs> well this is what they're talking about in, in New Zealand, potentially. Um, where in Infratel, which owns fifty percent of Vodafone New Zealand, is talking about building a single wholesale five G network and then um, uh, leasing it out to the competition, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, but you know, you know, for the hardware, it seems, yeah. But yeah. anyway, that's what, what we got. Anyway, is what we yeah. Got. So yeah. internationally, this is not new. America has um, all over North America. In fact, they've actually privatized um, tower networks, stripped them away from networks, and have them as individual assets. In many cases, the tower networks are worth more than the mobile networks, and that's because um, when they're inside. Telstra, for example, if when the tower business is inside Telstra, it is the same cost and hosts, hosts only Telstra gear. When it's made mm -hmm. independent, it can host um, three networks without changing any of the cost structure. So mm -hmm. the earnings can be quite explosive. They're absolutely vital pieces of infrastructure. There's very little capex. So the cash yields and dividends are extremely high. Um, so that's interesting. So Telstra at the moment is only putting its own traffic on those networks. Yes. So then it, so its earnings could go much higher if it was able to take on other networks onto those. This is what assets. we're unsure about. That. So yeah. the company hasn't elaborated on this. The value of the tower business will depend on the contracts written. Mm. If Telstra, if, if the tower's business is allowed to host other um, networks, it would be a fantastic business. If it's mm. only allowed to host Telstra, then you're really dependent on Telstra pricing. Um, I think that would be a mistake. I, I don't see the point of actually splitting the businesses unless you're wanting to open it up and allow other hosts. But I suppose if you've got three, if you've got three players and each of them have got, you know, a thousand towers or whatever it is, then you've got three thousand towers. It makes far more sense for all those three thousand towers to be on the same network. Hmm. Instead of having three networks of a thousand towers, you could have. Um, you know, three networks of 3,000 towers and yeah. with the They're same also, amount of traffic going through each. 
They're also third party. So actually the largest tower business, even larger than Telstra's, is actually owned by a private enterprise, majority owned by Macquarie. They own the largest network tower and, and they've been playing this game for a while. If they ever, if they ever, they probably have an IPO because the business is just too good. I think it's called Axi- Axicom or something. Um, so they might actually just buy up Telstra's tower business. I think that would be, if, if they're allowed to, if the com- competitive com- competition regulator allows them to, that would be a, a possibility as well. But there, anyway, there are lots of different ways to monetize that tower's business. Um, Andy Penn has explicitly said that they will look to generate a return from it. Um, I've inferred that to mean that that business is the first one that will be formally split and IPO'd or sold. Um, and I think that makes a fair bit of sense. Um, and then you've, you've got the services business, which is the Telstra that we are familiar with generally, which is the, um, the Telstra that provides mobile services, NBN services, and whatever the, the, the other services that Telstra provides. So um, those are going to be the three parts of Telstra. The big benefit um, from Telstra's point of view is that the split has coincided with a very large cost-cutting exercise, and we've kind of written about this in the past. They had something like 900 plans that's come down to 20. Um, a whole load of costs have been stripped from the business, um, and this is all long overdue. Telstra has been a mess for a long time, and this simplifies the entire business that's coincided with this restructure. So the point is that when you've got these businesses sort of standing on their own two feet, you can't yeah. sort of fudge anything. You've got to really, uh, you know, it's all going to be, the cost structures are going to be there for everyone to see, so they've got to sort of rationalize it. Whereas in the past, the Telstra's accounts, I remember when I covered the stock briefly, I mean, it, it, they're such a mess, aren't they? Yes, and they yeah. change year to year, everything changes. And so this, when you simplify it all down, you're sort of left with nowhere to hide, I suppose, on the cost side. Yeah, and, the, and one of the worst things about Telstra is the dividend policy, which we I've said for years is just madness. They spend too much on dividends. It it impacts the competitiveness of, of the business. Um, and they are afraid of their shareholder base, um, and they would go to almost any lengths to maintain the dividend. That was clear from the AGM this year. But they've also got people saying they should buy back shares. I mean, they have bought back shares, and the, the, you know, the people saying they need to have a certain amount of debt and all that sort of thing. So, mm. I mean, it's all about fine tuning the debt levels, I suppose, isn't it? But it, but it, um, it's a distraction, isn't it, from from the amount of money they need to spend on on their business. It is. But, but based on everything you've said, though, it just seems like it's a, a like it's obviously got some incredible assets in there and it's obviously a pretty high quality business um so probably i don't know i mean yeah depends what the regulator wants to allow them to earn though doesn't it ultimately that's the problem with all their businesses the services business is that regulated no that's not regulated the infrastructure business both uh, infrastructure yeah will have some regulation but it's also the contracts we have to strike contracts with all its um, with particularly with Telstra, but with with other parties as well, if if they're allowed to host other parties, so decide that will determine how much value is created. Um, just to get get to back back to that point about dividends, though the the split will allow the the Telstra to actually relinquish its dividend obligations into the infrastructure arm of Telstra. So the infrastructure business will handle the dividends. They'll just receive cash and pay out cash, and all the shareholders who are whinging about dividends will go into that vehicle. And that will free up the services business to actually be much more aggressive and redeploy capital um, to grow the business, which is what they desperately need to do. Um, they, uh, to me, that, that business still is, is not as aggressive as TPG, um, which is the clear, um, in, in my view, the, the, the clear threat to Telstra. Mm. So the, the split is a really good move for Telstra and it has a good chance of creating a lot of value, which is why Telstra sat on our buy list for a while um, and why some of the funds own it. Of the three, which ones do you like the best? Oh, um, the towers. I'm, yeah. I'm least interested in the services business. That's the part of Telstra I don't like as much. Um, mm. But the, the infrastructure assets are quite attractive, especially in a zero interest rate world. Um, and the towers business is not it, it's not an industry that Australian investors are all that familiar with. And I think there's a decent chance of mispricing that or not appreciating how much value can be created out of towers Mm. and the towers are still valuable uh with 5g i mean you just put 5g i mean because 5g you need more towers don't you? well that's right so there's going to be embedded growth in that towers business because the number of 
locations, cell locations you need in 5G is um, is an order of magnitude different to your 4G counterpart. So you, there's a lot more growth coming from that towers business if it's allowed to um, be freed. So I think that's the most that's the most interesting part of the business, uh, and the fixed business I think will be a great dividend um, yield business. Uh, and we'll have to see how the services business emerges out of all this. Um, so it, this is going to take a couple of years to all finalize. The, the timetable that they laid out at the AGM was, you know, they're looking at um, doing something with the towers business next year, but it won't be for several years b before they um, split the infrastructure and the services side. So I think Telstra still remains a buy. I think there's a lot of latent value that's finally getting being, getting a chance to be unlocked. There's lots of interesting assets there that have never really been monetized properly, and they're finally going to be, um, be be illuminated. Um, so it sits on the buy list for now. Any other questions, gents, about Telstra? Shall we kick on? <laughs> that's the answer to that. Yeah. Geez, we've had two very complicated, big, heavy, heavy-hitting um, topic so far. So let's go to something much lighter, which is the real estate market, JC. Well, the real estate classifieds, yeah, which, are, <laughs> which are, they're funny businesses. So REA and Domain is what we're talking about. And they're funny businesses because you can, once you start looking at them, there's so many little rabbit holes you can go down the, the way they earn their revenue and they, they can Thought we were trying uh, not the, to make this one complicated. Well, that's what I'm. I'm, I'm just <laughs> setting the scene for simplifying everything. You know, uh, they, so they earn they earn um, uh, you know revenue in fairly complicated ways, um, and then you know there's listings and there's what's happening to those in the short term and and the, all the ups and downs in, involved in that. But I think you can look at them by taking a, a step back from some of that and think about the value that they're adding and the long-term picture. And for me, that they, they encapsulate the what you get when you move, when, when you improve a business. So in the old days, you'd, you'd put a, an ad for your house in the newspaper and it would have a, you'd pay by the word or something and it would, you know, it, you probably wouldn't even have a picture. You know, it would have a few lines, um, you know, two bathrooms, blah blah, and uh, and that would be what you got for your for your real estate ad. Um, but by moving it all online, you can have an endless <laughs> you can have an endless amount of uh, you know for each property. You can have pictures, you can have videos, you can have all of it. So it's a far better. So it's not so it's not just about a shift from print to digital it's about the product actually on digital being better and so it's so there was a market people thought you know 15 years ago people thought oh the, so the market size for these property classifieds is the that TAM, the tam the tam the, so the then market. people think well you know and this this has implications for things like ordinate as well because people when they think about that you mm. know the, the the shift they think about it in the, the existing in terms of the existing market but by yeah. being a lot better when you when you become that digital business, you can expand that market. So, so estate agents, you know, the classic point is that estate agents charge whatever it is, tens of thousands, depending on your house, a few percent um, potentially for selling your house. And your real estate ad, I have no idea what it cost in, in the old days, but a few hundred dollars. Um, and now it's, you know, perhaps a few thousand dollars, but you know, there's there's a few tens of thousand dollars to 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 play with here, and and being so much better businesses now, they're able to to have a stab at that, and that's why perhaps they've performed so well over the last fifteen years because people, perhaps including ourselves, didn't mm. really anticipate. And Australia that. was the leader, right? This is the first time in in the world where we had such a dramatic shift. So no one, there was no other real examples of what could happen. Yeah, I think no, that's right. I think it all happened fairly much the same sort of time period because because all those things started getting better and all the money needed then to be spent in developing the products and they're still doing that. They're still developing these so-called depth product depth products which are basically the sort of premium 
products, but but everyone's on some kind of premium. You, you don't sell your house without a premium. Something you know, you you, you don't um, you don't get the basic ad for your for because because you're talking about you know you make an extra percent on your house and that's worth a lot of money. So um, so they're they're great businesses. Um, the other thing that's really good about them is that the agent is in charge of booking the ads, but the property owner is in charge of paying the ads. So the agent becomes a really powerful advocate for debt products and pay as much as you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he doesn't he doesn't pay anything. Uh, because the the poor old uh, property owner actually pays for everything. Um, and in the context of selling, uh, you know, if you're in Sydney anyway, a very expensive house, um, you know, the the couple of thousand just seems like peanuts. Yeah, and so and the interesting thing also is that REA. that um, for a lot of uh, for mo- for most markets in Australia, it'll, it'll make sense to because of the, of the pricing, it'll make sense for, because of that value, I suppose. It, it'll make sense to put ads on both. So the the level of competition is perhaps less than it um, less than it seems. Mm. Yeah. Um, although REA, I think, is the clear it it, it gets the the the, um, the higher number of page views, the higher number of visitors. It's, How can it's they both claim markets? I've seen billboards where domain claims leadership as well. How can they both do that? Well, I think you have to look carefully on the different uh, domain has has um, a leadership position in in um, in Sydney, I think. Um, okay. And is relatively strong in Melbourne. I think it's strong. It's strong in Can- Canberra as well. Um, domain. Um, so there are little pockets where it has leadership, and if you pick your your um, uh, metric, you know, there might be somewhere it's a bit higher up, but overall, the um, REA is is pretty dominant. So, James, as well, like this seems well, like possible, possibly, eventually, may kind of evolve into a winner takes all kind of market because I think just you know, as a as someone you know looking at houses and things like that, then you you just want to deal with one website, right? And and kind of the same for the real estate agents is is that. Kind of how you well, that's it, not or... how it. That's not how it's working out around the world. In the US and in the UK, they've got two players. The estate agents certainly want there to be two players because otherwise, you know, they're, um, um, you know, mm. they're, 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 they need there to be be some competition. And I think, as a user, I don't think you mind too much either. As a, as a potential buyer, as a viewer of properties, because you go on one site and you see something, and you go on another site and you might see something something else. Um, yeah. So uh, look, the way the markets in the world seem to be settling down is with two players. It would be crazy to have ten, <laughs> but uh, I think two makes reasonable sense for for all parties. Um, and so, JC, why is you look at the numbers on these two platforms? REA, the metrics are amazing. Clearly, one of the best businesses in Australia. Why does domain look so lousy? Um, why does its numbers look so bad? Oh, they look pretty good. It makes an EBITDA margin of thirty something percent. Um, but REA makes much more than that. Um, and that's because well, that's yeah. because so domain. I, I say it makes sense to put your ad on both sites. I think it makes sense to put your both sides ad on both sites. At a price, I think in most markets, REA okay. is, is um, a, a, a essential. You can't really go without it. But and, and domain, you know, at a price, you'll you'll cover that base as well. But but you know, you, there's a price for it. You can't do without REA, and and domain is a nice to have. I suppose that's okay. what. So makes they just have lower lower listing density, lower prices. Yeah, yeah, lower okay. prices. Yeah, um, so. Uh, so that's so that that that's sort of the backdrop, and they're both both I think fabulous businesses. Domain still has that little print um, business going with it as well, which is mm. sort of not quite such high quality. That's sort of phasing out, I suppose. Um, but what's interesting, I suppose, is that they've had as tough a year as they've ever had, really, um, because it didn't just start with the pandemic. They um, Already um, in the first half of the 2020 financial year, they were suffering from very uh, uh, poor listings um, on account of, um, you know, the the Royal Commission uh, putting putting pressure on lending standards and all that. Uh, So listings were already down and then the pandemic hits Uh, and and yet they um, they suffer. I got the numbers somewhere. Um, Hold on one second. 
and yet they've REA saw revenue in 2024 6% and profits uh, EBITDA down 5%. Uh, domain was a 9% fall in revenue and EBITDA down 17%, mm. which, which, I, which, which just tells you in such a tough year, shows uh, w- what strong businesses they are yeah. um, and also shows the higher operational gearing of, of domain um, because its profits have fallen by so much but or, or by a little bit more. But the... So despite all this, so the point I was going to make is that, that they're now, um, you know, back at all-time highs. They were hitting all-time highs in January, February, and then they pretty much halved in March hmm. when uh, property inspections were halted, um, as were open auctions, um, public auctions. And uh, so they, they, they've halved and then got back to their previous price and then and then added another 50 percent this year is roughly what they've done so it's been an extraordinary turnabout mm-hmm. and i think reflects people sort of coming to terms with what quality businesses they are mm-hmm. but most particularly it, it chimes with the market's desire for this sort of stock so any stock which has that kind of quality that kind of durability and that kind of growth in cash flows long term in a, in a low in the low interest environment this is these are exactly the stocks that the market's gone completely crazy about can we just talk about that growth for a moment because this is something that um, this is one of the reasons why I don't own REA is and I'm probably wrong about this but I mean the every, I think it's clear that that transition from print to online has already happened so the volume there's not real any gains from um, that the volume growth from that transition helping REA and domain. So the um, the way they make money now is really through higher prices every year. Um, well, but, much... but 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 this is what I was um, alluding to before: is it's not just higher prices; it's higher prices for more being delivered. So um, you're getting, you know, if you look at the their current mm. offerings compared to what they were offering on their sites ten years mm. ago, it's vastly mm. better. And, you know, they'll continue to take uh, a larger piece of that, you know, tens of thousands of dollars you get for selling, you know, that, that, that's available for selling a property. They'll, they'll continue to get a larger slice of that. That's, so that's the argument. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I agree with that. But that's coming. I mean, they're not really adding anything more now, are they? Because the depth products are really just getting buyers to compete with one another to get their listings on the top of the of the menus of the search of the search. Um, no, I think they are they are um, consistently. Look, I, you know, they 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 you can people can go and see by looking at all the um, presentations, but they're constantly adding things, um, and they're constantly improving the offering. And what think, what more can they do to keep kind of improving? I mean, like, is it kind of predictive or like i guess they could do something you know like that i don't know tell tell me jc well i don't i i don't don't know i didn't know 10 years ago um but i'm more open to to you know the potential they're the ones developing the products and uh i I think that they've got you know i mean look this is the thing isn't it so um it's hard to see the future like that um, but they, but they add a vast amount of of, of uh, value, yeah. And and the experience has been over the last ten or fifteen years that it's been incre- improving. You know, I suppose there's been that shift to mobile as well. So it's all now on mobile. Mm. Um, and I would, the, um, I'd like to disagree with you about the value being. Um, I mean, the the products having more features and things. I, I from my because I sold a, a house. Um, about three years ago, and it um, both REA and Domain charged me about three and a half thousand dollars a piece, and um, for me that was as a percentage of the property value, it was quite low compared to especially what I was paying the agent as well. So if they had doubled that, I still would have been a, um, okay, fine. Um, you know, it, it as a percentage of the property value, it doesn't seem like very much, but I don't, I don't think they get away with that. By, by encourage you know by by putting in new features and things. I think that's just um, that's just a psychological exercise to make you feel. Well, there's a lot of there's so a lot money. they do there's a lot they do at the back end as well, um, right? For for agents and and stuff. And I and I have to say I don't have 
direct yeah, knowledge yeah, of that because I don't yeah. pay them thousands of, a month to 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 see yeah. all that. Uh, but there's more that they're doing in the back yeah, end. that's true. That's true. Um, My agent and, did and, tell and me so, that um, REA yeah. was miles better in the back end to use than domain. Yeah. And there's a lot of data that they have as well about mm -hmm. property transactions and who's buying what. And, you know, so yeah. there, there, there's a lot that goes on that we don't see just on sure. the front of okay. the website. No, I accept that. Okay. Well, I think as well, like just when you're looking for a house, you think about how much time and energy and uh, you know, from the user's perspective, maybe there's lots of improvements in terms of how much time they can save you. Like if, it, and that's kind of what I was, the lines I was kind of thinking along is if they can kind of get to know you and what houses you might be interested in, mm. then that might help you save some time or mm. I don't know. Um, but I'm sure there's probably some other stuff that they can keep coming up with along the way, but I don't. Um, JC, so this, this is, this is, so this, I mean, that leads into the, uh, is this where you want to go onto the valuations, Gaurav? Because that 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 that's um, that's the question, isn't it? So now, yeah. now they're on. Earlier in the year, they were on. You know, uh, I think when they've previously peaked in January, February, yeah. they were on thirty odd times, twenty twenty two earnings. Uh, which is so twenty twenty two earnings you pick it because uh, it's it's getting close, oh, yeah. getting close. <laughs> Hopefully, this pandemic will be over roughly yep. for them mm -hmm. by then. Uh, maybe not for some other companies, travel companies, but for these guys, I think it mostly should be. Um, and now they're on uh, multiples of, of fifty times earnings for uh, for twenty twenty two, which is quite extraordinary <laughs> and uh and so it does beg the question they, they've got to get a lot of growth and so we should be talking about this growth because they've mm -hmm. really got to to get a lot of that for many years to justify that kind of price and you know the market's betting on that um and look i think it's right to a point and uh we're publishing today an article which will um uh, it's a de de downgrade domain to a sell, uh, whereas REA, we're just going to hold on for a moment longer if we can, raising its price guide from $140 to $150. But at these sorts of prices, at 50 times earnings, you're getting to a point where the risks are, are on the downside. You can't, you know, it, it, they, they could justify those prices if they keep growing 10 or 20% a year for the next mm -hmm. 10 or 20 years, but it's asking a lot of them. You know, and uh, you know there has to come a point where you put the money. Well, we've still got um, we've still got ideas on our buy, buy list, so there are still opportunities. But but the, it's it's these growth stocks, and and these aren't the only ones. Zeros and other. I mean, there there are other high quality growth stocks all across the market have got to quite extraordinary prices. So, GC, in your opinion, I mean, uh, selling these great companies. In the past, and there's no doubt, REA one of the best businesses on the on the boards. Um, I mean, how do you? Yeah, make I think I had. I think I put. I think I covered it and put a sell on it in 2013, maybe. And, and no doubt, it looked um, expensive. About 30, right? 30, 40 dollars or something. Yeah. And it was on a crazy PE in the high twenties, I think. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and I mean, this is those are the days. I mean, this yeah. is the thing. You, you, I mean, that was a mistake. Uh, I, as I've said didn't really appreciate um, the mm. the growth of the depth uh, product uh, side of things. That, um, but, you know, there has to come a point where so much uh, is baked in at, mm. at, a, at a multiple of 50 times. And that's, that's earnings in two years' time as well. Um, so, yeah, growth stocks at the moment, mm. high-quality growth stocks, the really high-quality ones, look, we, we hang on as best we can, but it's getting very hard to, to justify doing that. But um, just to play devil's advocate, the counter of that is that um, REA, I think, when we, I remember when I sold my place, REA, I, I thought REA sold my place, not the agent. The agent took a huge cut. He opened the door for everyone. Um, but REA is, is what actually sold the property. And I think there ought to be a reversion of the fees being charged in this industry. You know, the agents probably ought to take the percentage cut that um, REA takes, and REA ought to take over time the percentage. Well, cut I that think the that's, agents and that's, take. and that's that'll that'll happen. I think you still do need an, an agent because you need to be told how to dress your house up. 
Um, yes. Well, and I think there's also just a human element as well. People want yeah. to deal with a person when this comes to their biggest asset. I completely agree. Um, yeah. And, and but... the human sort of schmoozing, uh, sorry to use a, to use, but, but the <laughs> human, but the, you know, you can, a good, a good salesman can, yeah. uh, can use a turn of phrase and can, uh, flatter your property uh, on the expect in the inspections three uh, while people are there where, where in a way that a, a website can't so i think that there is a, a but i agree that the balance of, yeah. of fees needs to shift so if you think that then there's potentially i mean you could think about rea's fees potentially 10xing from here oh i think if they did that then you'd um pretty much have the whole I don't think there'd be much left for agents but but um you know they they could they could go up considerably and and remember that property prices eek uh grow over time so mm. you know that 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 yeah, we all know they never fall right Jason? <laughs> <laughs> well look they they haven't grown much the last couple of years i don't think but um the and who knows i mean that's another risk that faces mm. these two companies Jeez, it's a good thing nathan's not on this podcast because yeah him well, about property his, his head explodes but, 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 <laughs> but with the uh the debt the, 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 the nation's taken on and all that sort of thing i mean we, we could be if we had a a, a serious uh, recession then th- these these two stocks um could be in trouble i mean the property market good and, and yeah that's interesting point okay so how okay, okay. so okay. they are quite so yeah okay so there are quite quite highly correlated to the property market as well hmm. Hmm. okay that's a um that would have been a really tough decision i don't envy you having to sit there figuring out whether to well that's oh, what i've been doing oh, <laughs> it. <laughs> it's been tricky yeah it yeah. sure has oh, yeah. glad it was you not me wow <laughs> All right, um, that's great, James. I, I look forward to, to having a look at that. Um, and uh, thanks for your time today. No worries. Mickey, uh, great work on Omni. Um, you got us around, I think it was three goes. I'm pretty sure we had three goes at that, but you got us around No, eventually. it was only two. You can't count. I think he may have done. He may no, have there was been two, he's been rattling on about, about it, it on, yeah. a, on a yeah, podcast yeah. and um, say, so, yeah, that's all right. There we go. Uh, and uh, nice to hear you're out and about as well. So um, uh, thanks for your time as well, Mickey. Thanks. For everyone else, thank you for listening.